Hey, it's me again. I was hoping I'd have time to like go change shirts or something, but it didn't, it didn't work out. Um, so uh, my name is Jono. If we haven't met, I'm the family pastor here. I work with the students. I love it. I love this church. Honored to be able to stand up here and, and talk to you guys. And uh, for Pastor Ken giving me the opportunity, I take it seriously. And um, I promise I take it seriously, even though sometimes it doesn't seem like I'm being serious at all. But I do, and uh, so uh, my, my prayer is that you, you guys will get something out of this. Uh, we're, we're in the series called, Oh, the Places You'll Go, and we're talking about God's will for our lives and trying to figure that out. And I know it's been really relevant to a lot of you guys. I know uh, I've heard stories of just how God's working and how, how he's using this series, and, and so it's been good stuff. Hope that you'll say the same about today, uh, because God's will is something that I've wrestled with for years, and it's something that even after like a long time of being a Christian, it's still kind of, you know, when I'm making some big decision, I'm, I'm torn and uh, not sure, and, and, and I get fearful, and, and I get anxious, uh, and, and God's will, this, this topic of God's will, even talking about it, gets kind of confusing and, and convoluted. When Heather and I, my wife, we were in the youth group together, we grew up in Loganville, we went to Center Hill Baptist Church, and we were in the youth group there in the 90s, we were 90s youth group kids, if you, if you experienced that, it was interesting. Um, I'd love to get together and chat with you about it and burning all of our secular CDs and how that went and all that stuff. But um, anyway, we were in youth group together, and when uh, youth pastors do this thing, I'll let you in on a secret, when we don't have time to prepare, uh, we have what's called a share night where everybody just shares a testimony, you know, and, uh, and we had one of these. My youth pastor, he didn't prepare or something, so we're all sharing and, and what God's doing. And this one girl shares how, and, and I don't like want to impugn her motives or anything, okay, but this one, one girl shares how she feels like God has led her and, and is pushing her to pray through and, and listen for every little teeny tiny, the minutia of, of literally she shared about which color shirt to wear, which aisle to go down in the grocery store, Kroger or Publix, which bathroom to use because you just, I need to know exactly what God wants me to do in those things. And which sounds kind of spiritual, and when I hear that, I'm like, well, dang, I don't do that. Uh, am I even a Christian? And so um, I struggle. And, and so what, what happens is that, that sounds good, but I, I get into these decisions, get into some decisions trying to uh, figure out what God wants me to do. In my life, it has tended to be some of the bigger decisions have been in ministry for me and, 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 and really my, my, my career, so to speak, and whether or not to... Uh, God was leading me from one church to another, and so that was this struggle. That was this big deal, and um, I remember one time when I, when I was younger in ministry, and I was trying to pray through whether or not God wanted me to stay at this one church or go somewhere else, and so I'm asking some guys in my life, like, you got to help me. i got to know what God's will is for this, and uh, one, one guy is kind of one end of the spectrum saying, you know what, man, you need, to, you need to wait on the Lord. You need to listen. You need to, like, throw out a fleece. You need to fast, don't eat until God gives you an answer. I'm like, oh, I like to eat. I don't know about that, but I'm, I, you know, uh, just, just wait. Don't do anything. And, and he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna tell you. And so I'm waiting for this like audible thing. You know what? I don't know how that works. And so then I go to somebody else who I trusted and, and they're like, well, God's everywhere, man. Go for the money. I'm like, what the, okay, that does not help whatsoever. So you got two opposite ends of the spectrum, man. you got two opposite people trying to tell you to discern God's will in these two, two kind of different ways, and I just don't think that's, um, 
I don't think that's how God's designed it. And, and a lot of us, with, with this issue of determining God's will, we get stuck in this rut. We get stuck in this rut of kind of not doing anything, not making a decision, kind of being indecisive, being inactive, because you know, we, just, we have this misunderstanding of, of God's will and God's will for our life. And, um, and then we, if, we're, if we're careful and we stop and we pause and examine our motivation, you know, sometimes our motives are good. There's been times where my motives were good, and wanting to know what God wanted me to do, I wanted to be obedient to Him. But a lot of times, man, I don't, I don't know if you struggle with this, but um, I get pretty self-focused. I get pretty selfish, and uh, it, it's, I, I just want everything to be better. And so I got this vision of what I want life to be like, and, and awesome, and comfortable, and, and money in the bank. And I'm like, God, I need you to figure out how to get me there. Now, the, the graduates, this is going to be a big deal for you guys. It's a big deal for all of us, man, but I think it, it specifically, especially speaks to you guys. Now, this is for, this is for confused teenagers. Today is for burned-out parents, retired grandparents, where, whatever you are, man. You've, God's got a plan for you. But, but millennials, especially, millennials get a bad rap, but um, born between about 1982, 2002, and um, kind of seem to tinker. Anybody any tinkerers in your life? My grandpa was a tinkerer. Like, just go out in the yard. I'm going out in the yard. I mean, just tinkering around with stuff. Nothing ever really got fixed. But he just tinkered. Just what he did. He was retired. I'm going to tinker. And so, um, millennials, there's a lot of tinkering. There's a lot of, like, not settling down and doing adult things until you're, like, 29. Um... We're going to talk about that in a second because there, there, there's got to be some decisiveness. But I think the struggle with God's will is why we're just kind of camping out because there's so many good options and you don't want to miss out on anything. But the question is, if God has a wonderful plan for my life, and you can write this down if you're taking notes, if God has a wonderful plan for my life, then why doesn't he just tell me what it is? I've heard all my life, God has a wonderful plan for you. God has a wonderful plan for you, Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, I know the plans I have for you. I'm going to prosper you. You know, put that on Instagram post. It'll look pretty. And put it on your wall. Uh, even though I was speaking to Israel, just, just thought to take it, take it. It's all yours. And, but if God has this wonderful plan for my life, wonderful. By the way, your definition of wonderful, there's probably a little bit off from God's definition of wonderful, by the way. It's not an American wonderful written in the Bible. I want us to consider that maybe the reason that we have so much difficulty determining what God's will is for our life, is that he does not intend for you to know in advance. Maybe the reason it's such a struggle is because he doesn't intend for you to know the future. And maybe we're wrong to expect him to. Maybe it's wrong of us to expect him to tell us that everything's going to turn out like we want it to and that, that tell us what the future holds. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit. Now, but real quick, let's do a little refresher. We've been talking about God's will for our lives. God's will, that, that, even that phrase gets a little confusing. It gets thrown around. We kind of use it in about three different ways. The first one, the first way that we use this is God's will of decree. Okay? There's, there's two ways, or three ways that we use it. There's two ways that are pretty biblical 
First one of those is God's will of decree. The third one's a little bit trickier. We'll talk about that one in a minute. But God's will of decree. These are the things that, that you're not going to mess up. These are the purposes and the plans that God has set. He has decreed them, and you cannot mess them up. Jesus was going to die on the cross. No one was stopping that, okay? Gravity exists. You're not messing with that. John was always going to be bald. That's just the way that, that, that was God's will for my life. And I don't appreciate it, but it was the, it's the thing. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, 11. If you've got a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Um, we'll throw it up on the screen if you don't have one. It says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So you've got God's decree there, and he works out everything, these big and small, for his own purposes. He is in charge, he is sovereign. Isaiah 46, chapter 9. Uh, Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9, I'm sorry. 9 and 10 says, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. So God does whatever he wants. God's God. And he doesn't have to tell us what he's going to do. The other side of, of God's will is this God's will of desire. Write that down. God's will of desire. So you've got God's desire. These, these are the things that he's commanded. These are the things that the, the way it ought to be. These are what he, this is what he wants. He, do not lie. But we can disregard his will of desire. He desires, uh, Timothy tells us that he desires that all men be saved, but we know that people are dying without Jesus. He desires, his command is not to lie, but, but we lie. His command is not to steal, but we break his will of desire. We get outside of his will of desire. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Go ahead and turn there if you've got a Bible. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. If I begin to love the world, then the Father becomes secondary or third or fourth because I'm in love with the world and I just want to be comfortable and happy and just have a great life and plenty of cool stuff to post on Instagram. So this, this will of desire, first John, it's not talking about the things that God's ordained, okay? So... Um, Doing the will of God means to, means to get rid of the desires of the flesh and, and die to ourselves and take up our cross, which is uncomfortable. Now, the third way that we talk about God's will is, is God's will of direction. God's will of direction, this is what usually we're talking about when somebody wants to talk about God's will for their life. They're talking about God's will of direction and um, what does God want me to do with my life? Where does he want me to go to college? Who does he want me to marry? What does he want me to study? What job do I take? Do I move to this house and that neighborhood, whatever, and, and, and all that stuff. And we want to know the specific, the who, the when, the what, the where of all of our future. And we, we want him to tell us that. And, and it just doesn't always work out that way. Now, I'm not saying that God does not help us make decisions, that we have wisdom. He gave us a brain. He certainly, he, he, he's given us his will in the scripture. He leads us. He pushes us. But I think we kind of we, we look at it wrong. We, we, Pastor Ken talked about this, this uh, balance beam, and, and we look at God's will like this balance beam. That if we fall off, then we've just like totally blown God's will for our life. 
I, I kind of think of it like, like the corn maze. Um, you ever been in one of these crazy corn mazes? You know, you, know, you, you get there, you, you're up at the top of the G of God bless America that they've carved out in all the corn or whatever they do. And you're up there and it's like, I, I don't know which way to go. I got a left or right. I can't cut through the corn because they'll shoot you because they're serious about that corn. So I'm just going to have to wait on the hayride guy and flag him down when he comes by and see if I can get back to civilization because this is terrible. And so we look at, we look at God's will. I love corn mazes. Um, we, we, look, we look at God's will as kind of like, man, left or right, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna, it's gonna, I'm gonna blow it. You know, if I buy the wrong house, my life, the tra- trajectory of my life is just gonna be a mess. Or, or kind of like, the, you remember these um, 80s and 90s kids? You remember these choose your own adventure books that we used to read in the library? And, and so you're going through, and there's like a turning point in the story. And, you know, like, it's like, hey, turn to page 22 if you wanna get on the boat. Or turn to page 64 if you wanna go hide out in the cave. It's like, boom, 64, hide in the cave. Oh, dang, that, you know, the cave is actually a volcano, and boom, you're dead. And, and so if you turn to the wrong page, you, you've now just blown everything up, man. You're, you, you've, you've wrecked it. And God is not, following God is not like that. I mean, it's hard, but he's not like messing with us. We need to live in fear. But what happens is, in this we get paralyzed, man. We get paralyzed. We don't want to make any decisions. we got so many good options. A, B, and C look great. If we pick A, we're going to miss out on B and C. And so we just feel like doing nothing is less painful than missing out on two of those options. And so we do nothing, and we have a generation that is slow to make some decisions. We're indecisive, and we just kind of want to sit around Instead of making godly decisions with the brains that he gave us, with the wisdom that he's given us, that he says, just ask for wisdom and I'll give it to you. Ask for what? No, no, stop asking me about the future. I'm not telling you that because then you, you don't need me. Just ask for wisdom. I'll give you some wisdom. You hang with me. I'll give you wisdom. The other problem is that we want some perfect fulfillment out of life. We, want, we think that life should be this five-star resort all stinking time. And we're jealous of our friends and what they do because of social media. Now, some of this is, some of this is generational, okay? Uh, my generation was the first one to experience grade inflation. You know, like, like you get an A. I, I got some A's for excavating my feelings. Um, John O'Long should not have graduated high school because of Algebra 2. He needed another year, okay? But they just, okay, but, I'll tell you the story some other time. But I graduated, here I am. And now the current generation, we're giving out like trophies for, for mediocrity. Um, don't email me if that upsets you, okay? But, but we, we, we've got this generation that, that we're giving trophies for everything, and they are being programmed for self-esteem because they have been told they're amazingly special for having a pulse. And so it's no wonder that we have people who expect to be affirmed constantly, never criticized, get whatever job they want, right out of college, have a job that pays them to do whatever they want and gives them the same standard of living that their parents have after 25 years of working. And we want it all. And, and you know what? We're just as guilty as millennials, you know? I mean, you, we created them. Uh, but we, we want it our way. We've got this plan. And God, we just need you to show us how not to mess it up so we can get there and have money in the bank and everything, be comfortable. And the chart of our life just go up and to the right and never, please don't let me have anything tough. Somewhere along the way, we got the idea that God 
wants us to be comfortable all the time and that anything tough is not of God. And that is, that is messed up. If you've got this dream of a comfortable life and a five-star resort all the time, man, you are going to be disappointed with life. You need to just look forward to the cup of coffee in the morning. If that's like what you're looking forward to, everything else is going to be great. Just look forward to coffee. That's what my wife says. I don't quite get it, but she says it all the time. Here's a little exercise for you, grads, college students who are just waiting on the Lord to tell you, get you this fulfilling job, and adults. We kind of spiritualize laziness. We call it waiting on God sometimes. Now, there's certainly, there's all kinds of waiting in the Bible. Everybody waited. That's all they did. They sat around waiting on the Lord. So we certainly can wait on the Lord to do things, but there's a lot of us that take that and abuse it and twist it, and you're just lazy and need to get a job, and, and you're like, I'm just waiting on the Lord. Just waiting. Waiting for something to fulfill me. Go ask, here's a little exercise, everybody. Go ask your grandparents, if you still got them, did you find fulfillment in your job? <laughs> Go ask them. They're, they're going to look at you with a puzzled face or laugh at you and say, what are you talking about? Fulfilled in my job, uh, I fed your mom. <laughs> I made sure that your dad had food and we took care of him. I, I didn't think about fulfillment. I got a job. I worked hard. I was faithful to, your, to, to my wife, to my husband. I took, took him to church. We loved God. We worshiped him. And that was that. Okay, that was fulfilling. But not my job. No. And I'm going to say, I mean, if you hate your job, I mean, if you're miserable, go get another one. That's, that's cool when God opens the door or whatever. But wait till he gives you another one before you quit the one you got, okay? Don't sit there for five months not working, like, it's waiting on the Lord. I know we're broke. We'll eat later, but just come on, Lord. And I know there are valid reasons people don't have jobs. I, I get it. I get it. I'm not talking about that. I know things happen. And, and so I, I'm talking about some laziness, spiritualizing, sitting around. Because faith does not guarantee rainbows and lollipops, man. That's just not the way it is. The other reason that we struggle is because there's so many stinking choices. You know, this sermon, nobody's preaching the sermon in Haiti. Nobody's talking about God's directional will for your life in a third world country because they're busy trying to find water and trying to eat. This is a Western affluent issue. This is people with money are the ones that sit around and talk about what's God want me to do? Is he want me to buy this house or this house? Um, go back 100 years, man. Go back 100 years here. You grew up, you maybe went to school, you did whatever job, you were going to do the job that whatever your dad did, it was probably farming. You were going to marry one of the seven girls in town you weren't related to, and y'all were going to have some godly babies, and that's just what you did. Choices, choices, choices are... Choices are obnoxious, man. I got, I got a friend, I got a missionary friend from Brazil, and um, he, he, he's been there about, uh, I don't know, 2011, however long that's been. Math, told you. <laughs> um, so uh, he, he came home a few months ago, and I took him out to eat, and we're at this place, and, and he gets a salad, and they come in, like, what kind of dressing would you like? And he's like, well, I, I don't know, what, um, what do you have? She listed out like 13 dressings. Seven of them were like different flavored ranch. And he's like, are you serious? This is what overwhelms me about coming home, is that there are 12, 13 kinds of dressing. And so, like I said, you know, we, we have all these choices, and they're all, they all look good, and so we don't want to miss out on anything. A looks good, 
So I'm not going to do, I, I, but I don't want to choose that because then I don't have to miss out on B. And, and it's time, we've we got we to gotta make a decision, man. We've got to do something. We've got to like, like go for it. God's given you a brain and some wisdom. And if it's moral, if it's not outside the boundaries of, of God's word, then let's make some decisions. Because what we end up doing, when you get paralyzed and, and you're focused on the future, you're obsessed on the future, you end up treating God's will like, like this magic eight ball. You get all these messy decisions to make. You don't want the responsibility of dealing with it, so God, just tell me the future. Like, uh, he'll play me one of these in a while? Let's see here. God, should I, should I major in poetry and hopefully get a job with the poetry country, com- uh, company? As I see it, yes. Okay. <laughs> Am I ever going to get a date? Um, my sources say no. Should I volunteer for VBS at Journey? As I see it, yes. So, uh, hey, you heard it here. That's God's will. You can sign up to volunteer for VBS on your way out. As I, I, if I'm lying, I'm dying, man. It's right there. Y'all can come look at it, okay? All right? Thank you, Lord. He did that in the first service, too. So, they, that was <laughs> God's will. We need your help, okay? Children's ministry, Sean, you are welcome. Thank the Lord. It's all him. All him. Um, so what's wrong with this view of God? It causes a lot of problems, man. Uh, women, whoever, sorry. Um, it, it, one, one of the things it does is it shifts our focus and our, our obsession to non-moral decisions. And we end up being obsessed with these non-moral decisions. But the, the Bible doesn't tell us where to, whether or not to marry a nice Christian guy named Tim or a nice Christian guy named Larry, okay? You know, he says, be equally yoked. So if, if, if you're equally yoked, you're both a Christian, you can stand to be around him, then marry him. Have some, have some godly kids and godly family. It'll be, it'll be okay. His big concern for us is not whether or not to move to North Carolina or South Carolina. His concern is, is are, are we loving him and are we compassionate and are we faithful and are we one with him? Are we spending time with him? Do we know him? But our problem is we focus on everything else. And we obsess over the things that God's never mentioned. And we spend very little time on the things that the Bible has already laid out very clearly for you. God's will for your life is in the Bible. He's not sneaky. God's not sneaky. He's not trying to hide it from you. He's not like, hey, I got this plan. Good luck finding it. You think of it but we think he's like that. We think he's operating that. And then we get frustrated with him. But only one knows the future. We've got to quit being so obsessed with the future because only he knows the future. He's the only one that knows the future. We're not supposed to be obsessed with it. We stress and we worry and we get anxious, and I'm right there with you. But he tells us, Jesus tells us, you know what? You worry about the future. Stop it. I'm going to take care of you. And when you're worrying, it's not just a bad habit. It's a sin of not trusting him. James tells, us, James tells us in his book, like, look, if somebody tells you they know the future, they know what tomorrow holds, they are lying to you. You don't know. You are a mist. You're a vapor, man. Heather had a friend years ago who was very much operating this magic eight ball kind of faith. She had uh, two baby boys, wanted a baby girl, praying for a baby girl, and then uh, God tells her that she's going to have a baby girl. People started buying her girl gifts. You know where this is going, right? She has three boys now. 
we've got to be careful. We like to shift the responsibility to God. We like to shift the responsibility and uh, make, the, make, um, make a decision, and, and we use God to kind of remove any accountability. And we say, you know what? God told me, which is a conversation stopper. You can't argue with any, or you shouldn't argue. Well, I argue with people about that, but I don't think you're supposed to because they want to shut you down. God told me. What's even better, and I don't know if this happens to everybody. It happens to pastors, but what's wonderful, what I love is when people tell me what God has told them that I should do. It doesn't usually go well. Because God will tell me himself. It would be more helpful if we communicated by saying, you know what, I've prayed through this, I've, I've, I've prayed for wisdom, I've read the scripture, and I feel like this is where God leading me. I think that would be more helpful. I had a friend who uh, he finally got up the guts in college to ask this girl. He thought she was interested in him. He's pretty sure she was going to reciprocate if he said, hey, let's, let's be a thing. So they go out, they go for a walk. He's about to just lay it out on the table. Hey, you, you, me and you commit, be dating, courting, whatever they call it. And she says, no, nah, the Holy Spirit's telling me no. He's like, dang, I just got rejected by her. The Holy Spirit took a break from pointing people to Jesus, came down here, told her he rejected me too. And then she says she's just going to date Jesus. So we got this whole college, Christian college full of girls dating Jesus, date, Jesus dating everybody. He's just like, all right, Jesus, let me know if it doesn't work out with Jesus. And we can go out sometime. Let me know if he dumps you. It is wise and right to consult the scripture to wise people, to ask for wisdom, to pray. God cares about your decisions. Okay, so don't hear me wrong. But to hyper-spiritualize this and make God the bad guy in everything is, is, is wrong. When we use this magic eight ball kind of view of God's will, it, it's subjective. We tend to lean on feelings and we want peace about everything. Somewhere we got convinced, somebody sold us, told us that, um, that you should have a peace about it. And nowhere in Scripture is peace ever an indicator of God's will of direction. I hear people all the time, like, I'm not sure God just haven't given me a peace about it. Or I'm doing this because God's given me a peace about it. And God seems to always give a lot of peace about more income and bigger houses and fun stuff. I never hear anybody talking about doing hard things that much. I, I would argue that taking up your cross is painful that dying to ourself like Jesus calls us to is painful, and that big decisions do bring uncomfort because they're big decisions. They're not designed to be peaceful. Now, there's peace with, with, with God's decrees and that he's in charge, but you look at Jesus in the garden, you know, that, I think Pastor Kim mentions this, you know, he was like, is there another way? Is there another way we can do this? That, that was not peaceful. Here's a better way. Jesus talks in Matthew chapter uh, 6. He says, you know what? Don't worry about your life or what you're going to drink. Don't worry about this future. I'm going to take care of you. And so if I'm finding myself obsessed, you, you, here's what you can know. If I'm finding myself obsessed with the future, you can know that you're, you've shifted to focusing on yourself. Because he says, you know what? You, you need to seek me. 
You need to seek my kingdom. You need to seek after, uh, spend time with me. You need to get in the word. You need to pray. You need to stop. You need to make sure that you are lining up with the Bible and that the things that you are doing are honoring him, is glorifying him, is pointing people to his kingdom. Jesus, before he, before he, would have, before he left, he says, you know what? My prayer for my people is that they would be one with you, that they would be one with the Father, that you and I would be one with the Father as he was one with the Father, that we would all walk with Jesus. We would be one with our heavenly Father. And so if you are not one with your heavenly Father, what house to buy is the least of your problems. What job to take is the least of your problems when you are not walking in step with God. God's way is not to tell us what tomorrow looks like. His way is to tell us that he knows tomorrow and that he cares about you and that he's got it under control. Well, God, the question God cares about the most is not, you know, where, where should I live? It's, it's do I love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, my mind, and my soul? My strength, and do, I, do you love your neighbor as yourself? That's what he's concerned with. Do you love him? Do you love people? C.S. Lewis said, you know what? We can't have the second things by pursuing the second things. We have the second things only when we put the first things first. And the first thing is seeking his kingdom. God's will is that you and I would live set-apart lives. You want to know God's will for your life? Here you go. That you would set that you would be set apart and live a holy life for him that honors him, that we would be happy with Jesus and we would be holy in Jesus. Let me read Romans eight twenty eight to you and 29. He says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So that we, we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So the question is are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you getting with him? Are you one with him? God has never promised to make us healthy and wealthy and comfortable. He promised something better. He promised to make you pure. He promised to make you humble. He promised to make you like Jesus and, and make you loving. And so go marry someone, providing that you're equally yoked. Go marry them. If they're a follower of Jesus and you like being around each other, go marry someone. Get a job, uh, you know, granted that it's provided that it's not wicked. Go live somewhere in something with somebody and just put away this passivity and this laziness and quit living in the pursuit of this perfect comfort and fulfillment and obsession with the future and for the love, start making some decisions. Don't wait for this liver shiver thing like you got to feel like you got to get goosebumps. If I'm seeking his, king, seeking his kingdom, I'm going to be okay. He is in charge enough and big enough to get you where he wants you to be. It's about being one with him. And God's will for your life is it's not very complicated. It's tough. It's hard work. But it's not complicated. I get with him. He's got it. My job is to seek the kingdom, not to be obsessed with the future. Let me pray for you. God, I pray that we would set aside the obsession with knowing the future, that we would be consumed with you and seeking you first and knowing you better and advancing your kingdom. God, we know that, that you do, you give us wisdom, you have given us brains, you do push us in decisions. 
But that happens when we're spending time with you. And if we haven't been with you, it's, it's kind of difficult to expect you to, to lead us. So I pray that we would guard our time with you. We would be serious about our relationship with you. That we would surrender to you. That we would believe and know that you, you're the one that knows tomorrow. You're in charge. You care about us. You love us. And it's going to be okay. And we thank you for loving us like you do. We thank you for being so good to us. And I pray that you would continue to grow, draw us closer to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.